Okay, we are going to be jumping into chapter 18 in the gospel according to John this morning. Uh, We are not going to go headlong right through the chapter altogether. What I'm going to do is break it up into two parts. Uh, The first thing that we're going to talk about principally and primarily is Peter's betrayal of Jesus. Okay? So we're going to skip over a small section, uh, verses 12 and a few verses after that, and then go beyond that. What we're going to deal with today is Peter's denial of Christ. So those are the pages we're going to be reading uh, from Scripture. When Jesus had spoken, this is verse 1 in chapter 18, Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, uh, knew the place. Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests, and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches uh, and weapons. Uh, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to to them, I am he, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I read that to help put things in context. And we're going to read the next section too, but we're going to focus more on Peter. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the, G- of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and who was priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. This is where we're going to be picking up this morning. Uh, who was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. Uh, But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of uh, this man's disciples, are you? Are not you one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had it made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, warming, uh, standing and warming himself. And then we're going to skip the next little bit. And we're going to pick up in verse 25. Now Simon Peter, who was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are one of uh, his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. 
We talked about Judas last week. We're going to focus this morning on the Apostle Peter. We know that very often fear grabs a hold of people and it carries them wherever it wishes for them to go. And before I say anything else, I just want to challenge all of us this morning with the idea that if we have never experienced the fear of other people as a Christian, it's likely because we've done, we haven't done anything for Christ that took us outside our comfort zone. As Christians, we will experience fear in our walk with Christ. And sometimes that fear will control us. I hope you realize that one of the things that's going on in these more recent passages is this contrast between two people. One of those is Judas, who we covered last week, and another one is Peter. Peter's denial is surprising very often to people. Sometimes people wonder how in the world Peter could possibly have done what he did. And so often we have the idea that if I had just been with Jesus and I heard everything that Jesus said and I saw everything that Jesus did, then I would, have, I would believe perfectly and I would never have any doubts and I would never have any reservations. I would never have any fears about anything. But one of the reasons that these stories are included in Scripture in regard to the apostles, and at this point in particular, Peter, is so that we have some way of relating to them. As Christians, we will experience fear. And if we never do, let me tell you something, there's something wrong. Being obedient to Christ will carry us into places that we are just flat, uncomfortable being, and we will avoid like the plague if we can. It really does, it is amazing to us that Peter, you know, he witnessed all of these miracles that Jesus performed. He was with Jesus as much or more than anybody else for years, for three years. I would imagine that Peter's denial surprised himself. I would imagine he probably had the idea that I would never, ever, 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 ever betray my Lord, ever. That's not a possibility. We will have fears in our walk with Christ. And if we never have any fear, then there's something wrong.
because our fears come forth from changes that God demands of us. We're going to talk about it more in a few minutes, and I would imagine that one of the things that Christians fear most of all is sharing the gospel with other people who are yet unbelieving. I mean, it's easy to share the gospel with people that you have common belief and understanding with. It's a totally different ball game when you get into evangelism. Because I would, what I would say to you, and this is after years of experience in ministry, is this, is that evangelism, evangelizing other people, is the number one thing that Christians fear doing. And reality is this, is very often some people look at Peter and say, how could you possibly do what you did there and let your fear control you. But the reality is this, is very often we are in the same boat right along with Peter where we let our fears determine what we will do and what we will not do. Sometimes Christians are aghast that Peter could do what he did. Sometimes people talk about super saints. One of the reasons that this is in here is to show you and I that there is no such a thing as a super saint, that, that every believer still has faults, still has weaknesses, still has fears. And sometimes that fear will grab a hold of them and carry them in places they never thought that they were capable of going to. I cringe sometimes when I hear people say things like, I could never do that, or I would never do something like that. And you can imagine what my fear is. My fear is this, is that God might loosen his reins on those per that, that person long enough for them to see what they really are like and what they still are very much capable of doing. I want to remind us this morning that God is acting in each one of us to restrain sin. He's doing it, not you. And he does it for a number of reasons. And one of those is this. Why did he let this happen to Peter? I'd say for a number of reasons. One of those is this, is so that Peter would not be so arrogant and prideful to believe that he was incapable of doing something like this. To teach him things that he needed to know in his walk with Christ. And also to remind him and teach him even further that, that he is unceasingly and absolutely Dependent upon God for all things. This is an example of Peter trying to do something on his own. And 
Now let's face it, there are times when each one of us behaves far more world-like than we behave Christ-like. And probably far more often than we would even imagine. What I want to challenge us with this morning is not to look upon this passage and wonder how Peter could be such a scoundrel. But to look at Peter and see a reflection of ourselves. I mean, how often do we behave world-like and not Christ-like? We are far more like Peter at this stage of our life than we care to admit. One of these days, things will change. One of these days, you will obey God absolutely and perfectly forevermore, but we're not quite to that point yet. And until we get to that point, fear will be part of our picture. But it cannot be a paralyzing fear. One that keeps us from being obedient and, uh, to God who commands us. And like I would, have, would imagine, like I said before, I, would, I think one of the things that Christians are most fearful of is evangelism. And I honestly believe that a lot of Christians are not really very actively involved in it. When Jesus gives us the opportunity to tell someone else about Jesus, we cannot let our fears prevent us from being obedient. Every time that we sin, we are essentially denying our association with Jesus. Do you understand that? Every single time we sin, we're denying our association with Christ. Because what it is, it's a denial of his lordship, his absolute lordship over us. So before I say anything else, I would say to you, should we not possibly cut our brother a break here? One of the things you have to say about Peter, is Peter may not have done it perfectly, but Peter was there. He and John were there. Evidently, none of the others were. They'd already scattered at this point. And one of the things I think that John is doing here is contrasting a difference between Judas and Peter through these pages. Both of whom had their faults and their failures. Both of whom who betrayed their Lord. So what's the difference? What was it that made the difference for Peter? What is it that turned Peter and not probably Judas? The key lies in Luke's gospel. 
where Jesus said these words to Peter. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You understand that this was all according to the plan of Christ? On the other hand, Jesus simply left Judas where he was. Remember how we closed last week's service about grace? What makes the difference is grace. It's all about grace. Peter got grace. Judas didn't. The only real difference between the two. First of all, they took Jesus to Annas. It was technically speaking, at least from the Roman perspective, he had actually, from the Jewish perspective, he actually had been the high priest until just recently. The Romans had deposed him and they appointed Caiaphas, his son-in-law, in his place. Quite likely, the Jewish, the Jews themselves considered him still to be the high priest. And so that's why, probably, they took Jesus before Annas rather than Caiaphas. John had, or Jesus had said earlier these words. But one of these Caiaphas who, had, who was high priest that year said to them, it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. You see, the Romans, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders believe that they're manipulating this whole, the whole circumstances surrounding this arrest and, and the trial that's taken place. But reality is this, is they were merely puppets of God himself. Even a donkey God can make to speak. And there were times when Caiaphas spoke forth truth, God's truth. And does that here. There's a power struggle going on here between the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders. And Jesus, in essence, is caught in the middle. Both believe that they were manipulating the other. The Jews believed they were manipulating the Romans, and the Romans believed they were manipulating the Jews. 
But now they are here at the home of Caiaphas. And Peter had followed Jesus. I think we ought to commend him for that. It's like he's the only one except for John. John was here too. He was part of this picture. He's not mentioned here specifically, but John rarely mentions his own name in his gospel. But we believe that John is the disciple who helped get Peter in the door, and he was known by the priesthood, and there's actually some historical evidence that John was a member of a priestly sect. And so he had some connection with the priesthood. And so he was able to walk directly in. And he was also able to get Peter in who couldn't do that. And we can't say for certain that that was John. But it mentions the disciple who just walked right on into the priest's house. We think it's John for a lot of other reasons, and one of those is this, is John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. He often refers to himself as the, God, as the disciple that Jesus loved and that sort of thing. So it would not be unusual for John to present things in this manner. Peter was allowed in. Because of the help of John. And a servant girl said to him, You also are not one of these man's disciples, are you? Now just remember this, that just recently Peter had stepped forward and cut off the ear of one of the servants of the high priest. When they came to arrest Jesus. And we talked about the fact that there were probably thousands of people who witnessed the arrest of Jesus. So we need to cut Peter a break. <laughs> He's not hiding. He might be afraid and he may be, may be having tremblings and etc. But he's still there. A lot of people, my whole point here is that there were a lot of eyewitnesses that saw what Peter did. And there's a good chance that there's some of them are here at this gathering. But Peter had enough courage to just be there. Remember, he had said to Jesus, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And to which Jesus responded, will you lay down your life for me? Will you really? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Three times. Now, I've known a few holier-than-thou people in my lifetime and you know who I'm talking about? Those pe people who believe they're a step above the rest of us on the ladder of holiness. 
Sometimes they project the idea that if you want to truly be a disciple of Jesus, you just need to watch me and do what I do. My fear for them is one of these days, Jesus is going to actually let them see what they are fully capable of doing. Pride is not a place. There is no place for pride in our walk with Christ. Period. Unless that pride happens to be in him. We all suffer what I sometimes think of as Christian schizophrenia. It's like we have two different personalities living in us. Sometimes behaving very Christ-like and other times very much world-like. It's because we live in what is called the now but not this, but at the same time, the not yet. In other words, we are now in Christ. We are now forgiven. We're now, you know, this, that, and the other. But at the same time, those things have not been perfected in us. We still are human beings with the same kinds of fears and desires that stalk every person. What I would say this morning is if we haven't in some way uh, experienced the fear that Peter does here, perhaps it's because we haven't done anything outside our comfort zone. We don't have anything to be afraid of. How many times have you thought, boy, I finally put that besetting sin to death and the next thing you know, you're doing it all over again. God could perfect us at this time. He's chosen not to do that, so we have to wonder why. And I would say it's a number of things, but one of those is this, is that he's teaching us our absolute and unceasing, utter and absolute reliance upon him for everything. You guys have heard me talk about sanctification, which means to be made holy. And there's two aspects of it when it comes to us. One of those is there's a sense in which we are currently sanctified, and that is because when God looks upon us, they see the righteousness of Christ imparted to us. But there is progressive sanctification whereby we are ever growing in holiness. In other words, our lives reflect more and more the relationship we have with holy God. Which will be completed only at the time of our glorification. 
Until then, sin will be part of our picture. Peter didn't only deny his association with Jesus once, he did it three times in very short succession. But how many times have you and I, in essence, denied Christ because we knew he was encouraging us to do something and we just flat were afraid to do it or refused to do it or both? You see, there is really a true bit of Peter in all of us. Still. Every single time when we either willingly or unwillingly, let's be be honest, we do willingly sin sometimes. We know we're doing it. We know he doesn't want us to do it, and we do it anyway. Peter, in essence, was denying Christ as Lord. Every time you and I sin, we're doing the same thing. Most particularly when we know we're doing it. And we do it nonetheless. We're denying his right to lordship over us. So maybe we should cut Peter a break. I mean, Peter's denial of Jesus was under real duress. He was afraid, and he had good reason to be afraid. But how often do we give up or give in when we're not really under duress? So why does God leave us where we are? And I would say it's this. is because he's teaching us more and more our absolute and utter dependence upon him for everything. You cannot put sin to death in you. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. So how does it happen? By utter and absolute reliance more and more on him. Not on me, not on my ability, not on my passion, not on my desire, but simply learning to lean and trust on him. In other words, when these things happen, they happen for a purpose, and it's God's purpose. When, when we do some of the things that we do, he lets loose of the reins, but he has purpose in allowing that to happen. And let me tell you, for a child of God, that is always, always for their betterment. That they would grow and they would, they would become more and more holy as he is holy. Sometimes we have the idea that God has deserted us when something bad happens. You ever thought that? 
your life is not right now what you thought it was going to be, what you wanted it to be, and as a matter of fact, in some ways, it's exactly what you did not want it to be. You need to remember that God is always with us, even in the most difficult times, in the most trying times, and maybe in a greater sense of the word during those times. He wants you, he wants all of you, and he will not settle for anything less. Period. Nor should he. So what's the difference? What's the difference between you and me and the average unbeliever? What's the difference between Peter and Judas? What is it? Well, just remember that when Satan demanded of Jesus that he allow him to sift Peter like wheat. Jesus interceded. Jesus prayed for him. You understand that's the only difference between him and Judas? Jesus didn't pray for Judas. But he did pray for Peter. So as hurtful as maybe it was to Peter for a time, it's exactly what Peter needed. See, what I would say to you is the only thing really that sets Peter and Judas apart is this, is Peter got God's grace, Judas didn't. The only difference The only difference. It's the only difference between you and the average unbeliever. God's grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. Jesus prayed for you. That Passover meal when he prayed for all of those who would believe in the teaching of the apostles. Can you think of a better message? Seriously. Could you think better of better news for sinners? God's grace. He forgives that which would otherwise be unforgivable. And he's the one who does it. I don't want you to think that you're just a puppet on a string. You still have a will. And that will still whispers to you 
do this and do that or don't do this, don't do that. You still have a sin nature. And let's be honest, sometimes that sin nature gets the best of the best of us. But remember this. You were on Jesus' mind that night, that Lord's Supper, when he prayed for all of those who would believe the words and the teachings of the apostles. And he's going to do what is necessary to get you to that point of perfection. And sometimes it's going to be very uncomfortable. And sometimes you're going to be afraid and you're going to be fearful. But know this. Even in your deepest, darkest hour, even in your deepest trials, God is yet faithful to you and to his promises. He will not fail you ever. I don't know about you. I would say that's a God that is worthy of believing in and a God that is worthy of trusting in completely. Amen.